Thank you, uh, Kathy and Nelson. I saw many of you bobbing your heads. It's hard not to dance to that. And I closed my eyes, and I was even on a beach for a second. That was, all, that was awesome. Um, and also, Paul, you nailed the landing of that prayer particularly well. So no worries. You did great. Uh, for those of you who have your Bibles and would like to open them to James chapter 2, we're going to be reading James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, and if you would like to just follow along with the screen, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let me read this. James chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so, or sorry, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for the sermon. Father God, we thank you for this time to come together. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would write it onto our hearts, open it up that we may understand it and, and live it out. Bless Ryan as he speaks. May you fill him with, our, with your spirit, and may you connect us to your word forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. I want to draw your attention to a date here for a second, and uh, that date is April 7, 2023. So put away your apps, put away your calendars, put away anything that you will would tend to cheat and wonder what that day is. But do you remember that day? April 7th, 2023. Just four weeks ago. Was it a significant day? Or was it just another day in April? Do you remember anything special about that day? It was a day in which we gathered in this very place, if you remember. It was a day in which we gathered in this very place to acknowledge the reality of who we are. <clears throat> It was a day that we were meant to be moved. It was a day that was meant to move us to act as those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Not just in that he was a person that lived and walked on this earth, but rather as our Lord and our Savior. It was a day in which we were to accept the mercy that's given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember the day now? It was a funeral service. 
is a funeral service for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good Friday, April 7th, 2023. It was a day that we remember the horror and the pain and agony of death. It was a day that we remember that an innocent man, a righteous man, the creator of the universe who spoke it into existence out of nothing, the very Son of God, was crucified, died, put into a tomb to face a sinner's eternity. Do you remember the day now? Good Friday seems so long ago, doesn't it? Almost like an eternity ago, yet it was just four short weeks ago. If you're like me, this is part of our nature. We, we get so busy with our lives and our schedules and the things that are happening today or this afternoon or tomorrow or the end of school, exams and tests and work and all of these things, and we forget the significant things of life. They fade into the background, and we just simply forget. We only have the capacity to deal with what's right in front of us. Therefore, this morning, I want us to remember something. I want, us to take us, I want to take us back to that day on April 7th, 2023. Why am I doing that? Because it's a significant part of James chapter 2. I want us to revisit the gruesome and violent nature of the cross. I want to force us to look at the pain and the misery and, yes, even the mercy. I like to read murder mystery novels. I'm listening to one right now as I walk my dog or I just have a few, a few spare moments. I'm, I'm listening to one of these murder mysteries, and this particular one that I'm listening to right now takes place in Ireland, and it's about two detectives, a, a veteran of some 30 years and a rookie murder detective. And part of the story and part of their job is to be part of a post-mortem autopsy. For the veteran, it's just another to-do list, another thing on the task list to do. And it's just almost as if it's no big deal. For the rookie, it was something altogether different. He couldn't stand to be in the room. As a matter of fact, he got up and he walked out of the room because he couldn't take the scene. Which one are we this morning when we come to the cross? Are we the veteran that just sees it and it's just another thing that we remember, another task in the story of our Christian lives? My challenge to us this morning and what I want us to see, because we'll find out in just a second, of the importance of what this means to James chapter 2, I want us to look at the cross just as much as that rookie detective stared at the gruesome, violent nature of this horrendous death. to be shocked by the pain and the misery that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through. I want us to fix our gaze upon the body that was stricken and smitten to the point where he was unrecognizable. I want us to look at the torture again today. Consider the pain of scourging. Consider the thorns beaten onto the head of our Savior with rods. Consider trying to carry a crossbeam with a body whose muscles can no longer function. 
considering being drugged, to a hilltop, being drugged to a hilltop by soldiers who had no remorse, no compassion, no empathy. Consider having spikes driven into your hands and to your feet. Consider dying. This makes us uncomfortable. We don't like this moment right now. So why go through it? Why do I want us to consider these things again? Because what I really want us to consider is the word mercy. All this horror, all this agony and pain is the very definition of mercy. You see, because all of this was meant for you and Jesus took your place under the whips. All of this was meant for you and Jesus took your place under the thorns. All of this was meant for you and Jesus took your place under the crossbeam with muscles that no longer function. All of this was meant for me and Jesus took my place underneath the spikes. All of this was meant for us as Jesus took our death into a tomb. All of this was meant for us because of our rebellion, because of our trespasses, because of our sin. Jesus took our place and this then is what mercy looks like. This is what James wants his readers and this is what James wants us to remember this morning. Think of mercy. And what does that mean? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. We have been given mercy through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. More than that, even James in chapter 2 in verse 1 tells us that we've been given something else. Did you catch that? He says to his readers that they have been given mercy, but they've also been given faith. You see, these things go hand in hand, mercy and faith. He's saying to this group of believers a number of things, but he wants them and he wants us to see that the things that they already have, the things that they already possess, and that is mercy and that is faith. They don't have to search them out. They don't have to try to attain them. They don't have to get them in some way, shape, or form. But recognize that they already and we already possess this thing called mercy and this thing called faith. They are ours because of the cross. And that then moves them and moves us to live our lives in such a way that reflects that we've actually been given these things. That should make a difference to us. I thought about this for a while this week, and to be honest with you, I wrote this sermon, and I rewrote this sermon, and then I rewrote it again. And I, maybe I should rewrite it again. That's to be determined, I guess. But I thought about all of this for a long time this week to hopefully try to communicate with you well what the thrust of this passage is. In that process, I wondered to myself, as I often do, if we've been given mercy and we've been given faith, what does that mean? Does it make any difference to me tomorrow morning? Does it make any difference to me on Wednesday or Thursday night or a Tuesday evening when nothing's going on? What does it mean to hold on to faith, as James says? I'm not quite sure what that actually means. Because after all, faith and mercy has been given to us. So 
and it's secure in Christ. So what does it mean to hold on to faith? What difference does that make? So how do we hold on to faith? How do we hold on to faith when it's already ours? When it's already secure? Because that's what James is telling us to do. Do these things while we're holding on to our faith. In chapter 2 of James, we see a powerful passage then that challenges us to examine our hearts and our lives and to consider this very question. How do we hold on to faith? So come with me as we examine our hearts and our lives. And frankly, into a text this week and next week that's really challenging, really hard. But join with me as we enter into this text this morning. To understand faith, we must understand that we have to be honest with ourselves. This is what makes Good Friday such a powerful moment in our lives, right? This is what makes Good Friday such a heartbreaking memory, such a hard memory, something that makes us uncomfortable because we recognize what's going on, because we acknowledge that Jesus died in our place. And this is often a really difficult thing to acknowledge Yet that is exactly what's happening. And this is exactly what we do through faith. We acknowledge our sin and we acknowledge our brokenness. And we acknowledge that Jesus took our place because of that sin and that brokenness. The thing about acknowledging sin and brokenness is that we only go so far. Right? I only go so far. We go to the point where it begins to sting just a little bit. And then we say, that hurts. I don't want to go any further. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I'm broken, but I don't really want to go and get really messy into the brokenness of my own heart. And yet here in James chapter 2, James is drawing us into the mess, isn't he? He's drawing us into the pain, into the hurt, into the reality of our own hearts and lives. The thing about acknowledging our sin is that we have no other choice but to wallow in that messiness. Or maybe we say at least, I don't struggle with that sin. Because that guy over there, that woman over there, they've got a whole other set of issues that I don't have to do. At least I'm not like that. James is saying to us, no, when we sin, we break all of the law. We don't have the ability to say, well, at least I'm not like him or I'm not like her. We're actually worse than him or her. The cross shows us that. We are actually that bad. Holding on to faith means that we trust the Lord and in His mercy so that we can indeed acknowledge our sin and our hurt and our pain and our brokenness. Holding on to faith doesn't diminish or take away the horror of the cross. As a matter of fact, it opens up the cross and it opens up mercy that we can lean into it. And we can say this is given to us. It rather allows us to readily acknowledge what Jesus has done because of who we are, that we're broken, completely broken, shattered, 
Much like if we were to drop a pane of glass onto the ground, the glass would shatter. And it doesn't matter if there's bigger shards or smaller shards. The piece of glass is still broken, shattered. And James 2, 4 is the key text of this, of this passage that we read. So look at verse 4 with me if you have your Bibles open or some of those things. It says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The illustration is how they are treating a rich man coming into their midst versus a poor man coming into their midst. They show partiality to the rich man and and give him a, a premier seat, the best seat in the house, if you will, whatever that may mean. Not quite sure. And they tell the poor man, you go sit over there. You're not worthy of the good seats. They show partiality. James then proceeds to drive the point further and say, isn't it actually the poor to whom the kingdom of heaven is given? And isn't it actually the rich man who oppresses you and condemns you? You actually have it completely flipped around, and you have no idea what you're doing. This is really what James is saying to them. And yet you still show partiality to the rich. So just as he did in the previous text and that we looked at last week, James is not excluding anyone from guilt. This is another claim of total inclusivity of guilt. You and I are guilty of this sin. Each and every one of us, you and me, has done this. This is not holding on to faith if we don't acknowledge that. So this is what he says to us this morning. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of something called partiality. Oof. That one's hard to take. This is one of those hot-button topics in our world today, isn't it? It's one of those things we're not supposed to really touch or talk about. That's the thing that's supposed to be in the closet and just supposed to remain there and not really go there today because it's too hard, too hot, too sensitive, too much, too other, and we can't go there. So guess what? As we walk through a book of the Bible, we're forced to go there. So what's James telling us? The Word of God is saying to all of us this morning that we are all guilty. We're guilty of partiality. James, yes, is using the illustration of rich and poor, but the illustration goes far deeper and far broader than just rich and poor, doesn't it? And he's saying we're guilty of the same. You see, we show partiality to those whom we like versus those we don't like. We show partiality to those who vote like we do versus those who don't vote like we do. We show partiality to those who have a different set of moral backgrounds or perceived moral backgrounds than we do. We show partiality to those who 
have a different set of sin struggles than what we do or a different set of temptations than what we do. This is where the topic gets hot and sensitive, right? This is where it gets, okay, Ryan, where are, you, where are you going? I'm here to tell you I'm going to go to the heart of it. We're all guilty. James is saying there's no exception. There's no exception here. This is what we do. We are partial. And we do not show mercy to those whom we are not partial towards. We judge. We condemn. We ridicule. We chastise. We call names. And we do it again. We do not show mercy. We dig in our heels and we say we're right and they're wrong. How dare they think that way? How dare they act that way? How dare they not be Christian? How dare not they understand me? You see, holding on to faith then acknowledges this, acknowledges this reality. And this is what we do. This is who we are. I've heard many times over the course of the last probably two or three years, and I would dare even venture to say that I have said these very words. I'm not prejudiced. I'm not racist. Perhaps. And those are strong words, and I get it. I get it. But what we must acknowledge, according to God's word, is... We are partial. We are partial. Holding on to faith means that we have security in Christ to admit that reality. That we're guilty. Holding on to faith means that we have security in Christ to acknowledge the ugliness of our hearts. The ugliness ugliness of our lives because we have actually shown partiality. And perhaps we have even acted out our partiality. This is what James is saying in verse 10 of chapter 2. If we have kept the entire law, what James says in verse 10, chapter 2, if we've kept the entire law and we mess up once, the whole thing's shot. Just like dropping a glass on the, on the ground. The whole piece of glass is broken. Holding on to faith allows us then to confess the extent of our brokenness, to acknowledge our guilt, that we have broken all of it. Faith then has us fall on our knees to acknowledge this reality and lean into the cross that Jesus paid that price for us and has given us his mercy because of our guilt, because of our partiality. Faith faith then allows us to acknowledge our sin and guilt and see the cross and the glorious wonder of a blood-stained tree where mercy flows mingled down. But holding on to faith is more than just acknowledging our guilt and our sin, isn't it? 
Holding on to faith is more than just acknowledging our brokenness and our sin. Holding on to faith means that we actually have to act differently. That we actually have this faith and we have this mercy and that moves us to be a different person than what we were yesterday or even a minute ago because we understand that mercy has been given to us and our motivations change. Our hearts change. Our lives change. And then we act differently. So it's not just a matter of acknowledging our guilt and our sin, but it's also a matter of acting as one that is a follower of Jesus Christ. Holding on to our faith means that we act upon this faith. If we just simply acknowledge our faith and guilt and sin and that we just leave it there, faith means nothing. In the middle portion of this text that we read this morning or that Nate read this morning, James goes out of his way to make the contrast between a righteous person and an unrighteous person. We've touched a bit on that this morning about the practical implications of breaking the entirety of the law. But in this text, James chooses to compare partiality to two other things. He chooses to compare adultery, which on the spectrum of sins that we would admit is a big one, far more than a little white lie or something like that. And he compares adultery to that of murder, which is bigger than adultery in our spectrum of the heinousness of our guilt and sin and brokenness. And he says, if you're an adulterer, you're a murderer. If you're a murderer, you're an adulterer. And then he does something really fascinating. Did you catch that? He connects the adulterer, the murderer, and the one who's partial. So we would say it's not a big deal to be and to have some sense of partiality, but James is saying, no, you're actually just like a murderer, and so am I. He chooses to compare all of these things. And because of this is who we are, the horror of the cross is our future. The command that James gives in verse 12 to an audience of believers who have been given mercy and received mercy and faith, just like you and me, is to act like you have been given mercy and faith. My parents tell a story of when they were trying to think of names for me before I was born. They were going through this wonderful process, and parents, you remember this process, right? What a fun time that was to to banter back and forth between names, and this one sounds good, this one doesn't sound so good. I like this one. And perhaps there was a couple arguments and this, that, and the other thing, and maybe the man likes Fred, and the mom likes Hank, and they have a back and forth of, well, I don't like Fred. Well, I like Fred. I like Hank. Well, I don't like Hank, right? This kind of thing. So my parents had narrowed it down to a couple different names, and they were, they were proposing a, a couple different names to various family members, and my, uh, my grandpa Arkema was part of this conversation at one time, and uh, so my parents threw out the name. We're, we're, we're thinking about Justin for the name of our son, and uh, my grandfather sat there for a minute, and he thought about that for a second, and my parents could tell that he had a little disgruntled look on his face, and they couldn't figure out why. What? What's wrong with Justin? We both have agreed that this is, you know, one of the two names that we're going to choose. Well, my grandfather uh, was a typical stubborn Midwest Dutchman with a great deal of pride, and uh, he thought about that, and um, he said, that boy's going to be made fun of in school. And after all, 
He's more than just an Arkema. Being an Arkema is a good thing. It's a right thing. So don't name him Justin. Because you see, he had put the name together, Justin Arkema, that he was only an Arkema. He was just that. And there was something more powerful, there was something more special about being an Arkema. There's value there, there's worth there, and that could be debated or whatever. But Arkema is a worthy badge. There's something good and right about our names, our family, and who we are. So my name's not Justin. It's Ryan, which I think is the other one of the coin, other side of the coin. But James is saying to his audience, you have been given an identity. You've been given a name. That name is Christian. You've been given an identity, and that means something. You've been given faith, and you've been given mercy, and that means something. You are not just a Christian, but your lives have changed. Your identity has changed. You are set free. The identity then that we have is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, in his perfection, in his ascension. But that identity doesn't then give us the freedom to act however we would want. And James says, judgment is still a real thing. We don't like to hear that either, do we? Consequences are still a real thing. Wrath is still a real thing. And we are all under the weight of sin. We all sin. But if we've acknowledged our sin and admit this is who we are, and we confess that this is not right, then we act out our faith. Our motivation changes our lives change. So do we then go and pursue brokenness and sin? Because we can? Certainly not. May it never be, as Paul says. No, we act as those to whom judgment and wrath is awaiting. We act in Christian maturity. We act in sober-mindedness. James is is saying, speak like a Christian. He's saying, act like a Christian. And he says that means love your neighbor. That means remove the prejudice. That means remove the partiality. That means remove the hate. That means remove the vitriol. That means remove the disdain. That means remove the anger Because this is what Jesus has done for us. We love because he first loved us. Jesus had every reason and more to remove us from his family. Jesus had every reason to throw me into the pit of hell. Yet, he calls us brothers and sisters. He calls us Christian. James says very bluntly, if you are Christian and you are part of this family, speak like it. Act like it.
James then embraces his readers. He doesn't leave us in a place of pain and hurt. He doesn't leave us in a place of guilt and shame. But rather says to us again that mercy is granted. Mercy is granted for those who show mercy. So therefore, show mercy where mercy has been given. This is who we are to be. And so this is why I wanted us to visit the cross at the outset of the message this morning. I wanted us to see what mercy looks like all over again. I wanted us to see what Jesus has done to give us mercy. To show us love. Even when our glass is shattered all over the ground. You see, because holding on to faith looks like acknowledging our sin and our guilt. Holding on to our faith actually means acting out and living out our faith. But holding on to our faith means one last thing that James points out to us. It means we're to accept all of that. We're to accept our guilt and we're to accept that mercy and that faith And for some of us, that's a really hard thing to do. I'm not worthy of that mercy. I'm not worthy of that grace. You're right. But he still gives it. He still gives it to you and he still gives it to me. One of the things I don't like is when someone tells me the end of the movie before the movie's over. Or someone wants to know the end of the movie before the movie's over, if I've seen it. Some names will remain nameless. We all have those people in our lives, don't we? Tell me, tell me, tell me. I'm going to tell you the end of the story. Let me tell you how this story goes. You and I, we will fail at giving mercy. You and I, we're going to fail in our partiality. You and I, we will fail in our prejudice. We will fail in our anger. We will fail in our bitterness towards those to whom we disagree. We will fail in our frustration. We will fail in our ability to love our neighbor as ourselves. Judgment is rightfully handed down to us because we will not speak or act as Christians. Friends, let me say to you and to me this morning, hear these words. Hear these words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus has taken that judgment and that wrath and he gives you mercy and he gives you faith. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So then, may we be the kind of people that live out that kind of mercy 
knowing that judgment is rightfully ours, yet Jesus has taken it. May we be the kind of people that give mercy to remove the labels, to remove the stigma, to remove the appearances, remove the stereotypes, and may we hold on to our faith by acknowledging our brokenness, by acting out our faith that's been given to us, and accepting the wonderful mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you able this morning to accept that Jesus loves you no matter what you do or don't do? Are you able to accept this morning that Jesus loves you and his mercy triumphs? If so, then hold the faith. Hold the faith. And may we be the hands and feet of this mercy and of this grace to this city, to our neighbors. May we show Arlington, Texas, what it actually means to have mercy triumph over judgment because Jesus has shown us what mercy and how mercy triumphs over judgment. May we hold the faith because Jesus has shown us his mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, we are thankful for your mercy and your grace that you've given to us through your life, your death, and your resurrection. Holy Spirit, hold us fast that we would would be able to hold fast to you. So Lord, as we come now to this table, may we experience mercy. May we know what it looks like. May we know what it smells like. May we know what it tastes like. May we know what it's like to have grace and mercy feed us, nourish us, and grow us in the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.